Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Dr. James Show. I'm Dr. James Smith Jr., and I'm really looking forward to diving into the information today. Why? April is Autism Awareness Month, and our guest today is an advocate, a leader, an author, has her own organization that advocates for people on the spectrum. And I'm looking forward to bringing her out. But before we do, I want to make one quick announcement. Um, my co-pilot, Shannon Peck, will not be joining us any longer. Shannon received a phenomenal opportunity. She decided to go with it, pursue that opportunity. So when I got the news, it was bittersweet. I love change and I love when people pursue their dreams, but we're gonna miss her, her wittiness, her pithiness, her, her contagious enthusiasm. So again, we, we, we wish her well. I wanna introduce our, our, our guest. She is a faith-made entrepreneur. She's a visionary. She's an Emmy-nominated show host, an award-winning author. She's also a good friend. She's an autism advocate. When you look on Google, search Google, put in mover and shaker, Terry Matthews' picture will show up. And even more spectacular, life is happening right now with Terry. I like to say when things go wrong, don't go with them. But she's been dealing with life lately, and she still decided to come on and follow through and be on the show with us today. So let's welcome Terry Matthews. Terry M, what's going on? Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, joining you here from my vehicle, but I love what you just said. When things go wrong, don't go with them. And so I think that that's such a message and it's so needed today, just given the world that we're living in and all of the changes uh, that are happening. And life does happen. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter your economic status, your religion, your background, whatever. Life just happens and you can't go with it, right? Like That's not in the same direction all the time. You've been having a crazy 24, 48 hours, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm smiling. I try to smile through situations mm. uh, as much as I possibly can because I try to look at it from a different lens. Like, what is the opportunity here, even in moments of death, um, even in moments of, of people being untreated, uh, untreated fairly, um, or not treated fairly, I should yeah. say. And so, you know, even though those things do happen and, you know, sometimes we want to be right for the camera, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> when you have these great opportunities to be on here with like Dr. James, you, when people may not know you, you always want to put your best foot forward. But I thank you for working with me. The, the point is it's not about me. It's about that we get this awareness out and life does happen and life is real so when things do occur don't pass up opportunities to do what you're gifted and called to do even if you feel like you don't look the part <laughs> if, if, if people need to know you always look good number one but number two <laughs> number two based on our time of knowing each other and how you show up and how you look and how, how you carry yourself with with class and elegance and power to show that you're being you, you're being vulnerable. You're not camera ready, made up. I'm here. I'm here to bring my lesson. I'm here to bring my experience. I'm here because you asked me to, Dr. James. Yep, amen, I that's really, right. I, I really appreciate that. Now listen, I've been attempting to get five minutes with you for the last five years. You don't <laughs> slow down. So the fact, that you, the fact that you've given us this time, I really appreciate it, but that said, with you not slowing down, and it's never the same thing. There's always something new. What's hot for you these days? What's hot for Terry Matthews? What's going on? What's, so, getting, I your mean, attention? You know, What's getting your attention? Well, you know, I'm still in the process and have been for a long time, um, continuing to build business. I think when I build business, I build opportunity. Um, it's not about me. I am usually always trying to make a way 
uh, that supports our community, right? And when I say our community, it could be, you know, women who are starting over, um, especially women and uh, families in general, not just the women, but the women and men who have kids that are on the spectrum. Um, and in, in the space of autism, there are so many things that can happen with families. Sometimes when you're in a two-parent family home, one parent sacrifices their job to be at home with a kid who has a ton of needs. You have people who are single parents who oftentimes leave their job, right? Because they don't understand the 500 phone calls that you get yeah. in one week, yeah. you know? Um, and depending upon where your kid is, life changes. You know, Jaden is now 14, he'll be 15. When I started this organization, he was three, nonverbal, and a ton of behavioral issues that come with having a nonverbal kid. Terry, Terry, I was four Terry let's, not, let's not run through that red light. Let's go back. Uh, okay. Jaden's voice. Yeah. Huge. Help us understand the evolution and where are you now with that? And then we'll move into talking about what life has been like for you parenting during the pandemic with a child that's on the spectrum. I'm so glad you um, said that. I think this goes back to my moving. I move so quick through certain things. My husband said to me the other day, he's like, I don't even know if you recognize that you won your Super Bowl already. Like, <laughs> he's like, I feel like you're still trying to win your Super Bowl, but you've already won, honey. Wow. So um, the interesting part is Jaden's voice started because I, um, as for those people who know me and uh, they know this story, but for those who don't, um, as high summary as I can make it, I grew up uh, in a very, I had very adverse beginnings, right? Um, mm -hmm. My parents both addicted to drugs at a period of time in my life. I was the oldest of seven and I had moved Ooh. out and was already in, I'd moved out by the age of 15, was already in college by 16 and pregnant with my first baby by 18. So fast forward the story. Well, let, let us marinate. You were in college at 16. <laughs> I was in college at 16. Yep. And had your first and, child when? And had my first child in college, but I was 18 years old. Mm. So it, it's not one of what I consider my proud moments. It's one of my growing moments. Yeah. Um, but I also understood that growing up the way that I did, I wanted things to be different. And so my Jaden is the, the last, of, I call him the last of the Mohicans. I should have <laughs> named him Judah because that was the closest to Revelations, meaning it is finished. It, we right. have no more children. <laughs> but right. Jaden, in a sense, came along. He's my third baby. And um, I was privileged enough to be able to um, have an opportunity to raise my kids in a very good environment. Um, had overcome a lot of the things that most people thought coming from an environment I had come from that I wouldn't be able to do that, right? Becoming an entrepreneur, sitting in one of the seats that less than 1% of women sit in, mm. um, you know, having the opportunity to not only open my own businesses, but invest in other businesses and do things internationally. And so with that being said, when Jaden came along, we're showing, we're showing a picture of you and Jaden right now. Yeah, that's Jaden. <laughs> he proposed a totally different challenge for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and what I mean by that is one, I, I, when he was diagnosed with autism, I didn't know what it meant. Um, I did not understand that the process would be so difficult, especially during this time in my life. I was in, you know, in the space, if you want, of being successful financially, I could afford the things my children needed. And um, life was a little bit different from how I had grown up, not a little, a lot different from how I'd grown up. Terry, and Terry, so, Terry, can you walk us through that as someone who does have autistic children that sure. finding out like, hold on, no, no. When your child is born, you look at fingers and nose and dimples and okay, they're okay. But then right. you find out that they're a different okay. What was that like for you? That different okay for me was completely, um, it, was a, it was a moment. And what I say by that was when Jaden came along, um, you know, I, when you find out you're having a boy as a parent, you have all these expectations. Like I had two girls already. So this was my first boy. And I'm thinking he's going to play football. And I'm sure I'm going to have to keep the girls from calling the house all the time. Like, you know, I had all of these, my own expectations. And so um, Jaden was developing what looked like to be normal, right? Um, he met all the milestones, all of those things were on time. 
And so that role, what was extremely important to me was I had access to resources. When they came to my home, they spent about two hours. My experience was one that I thought that no parent should ever have. One, they were at my home for two hours. They said he had the red flags for autism. Um, when they said red flags, no one could explain to me what that meant. And because they weren't doctors, they technically couldn't diagnose him. So it took me eight months to get into a doctor. There were only two in the state at the time that were developmental pediatricians that had the uh, ability to truly diagnose for autism because I just didn't want to go to any pediatrician. And I want to say that to the audience because oftentimes we think Jaden's pediatrician wasn't the one who discovered he had autism, even though she saw that he had slipped away in our mind. That's when I was getting into the vaccination. I know there's this back and forth about vaccines. I'm not anti-vaccination, but I am anti-mercury in a vaccination. And I do believe that's what triggered my son in reference to autism. I know everybody's story is different. We'll park that and talk about that on a different day. But what I want to share with you is, is that once that person came to my home, it took me eight months to get to a doctor. It took me them three months to write a report. No one called me in to sit down and talk to me about a report. There was a report that was mailed to me that was 48 pages long. Um, I walked down to my driveway to open the mailbox. And I felt like, you know, remember the movie on the Green Mile? It's like you're walking down this whole long path. And it was like the whole world had shut off. And I was walking forever from my where my mailbox was to my front door, I flipped through all 48 pages. And it was so much medical jargon. I get to the final page where it says autism, semicolon, diagnosis autism, right? And so I'm like, okay, what does that mean? What's next? Does he take medication? Does he go to a doctor? There was no one who could share with me what my next steps were. And um, as educated as I thought I was, the resources supposedly based upon the neighborhood I lived in. And that was huge for me because when the people said, don't worry about it, someone will be where you are because of where you live. That made me say, wait a second, as selfish as I wanted to be during that time in my own son's diagnosis, I really felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to ask this woman, what does she mean? And I'm really having this internal war, like, why am I asking that? Why do I care? Like, my son is diagnosed with autism, you know? And so what ended up happening was she began to explain every neighborhood that doesn't look like yours, we can't get services out to. We sit and spend money on overtime begging people to go out and visit people in underserved neighborhoods. And what she didn't know, because she's looking at my, you know, glass front door and 24 foot ceilings, that this wasn't where I always was, right? right? And the neighborhood she was talking about had been neighborhoods at points and times in my life I had come from. So I now understood, I felt like it was that moment, not only with my son, but where the very challenges in my own life that I once hated, I started recognizing that when the word of God says that he uses it for your good, I'm like, I get it. So the neighborhoods that most people were afraid as new therapists, occupational behavioral and speech therapy, because they're young, uh, they're unexposed, and oftentimes are not minority, right? Where they were afraid to go to those neighborhoods, but I wasn't. And so that led me to build Jaden's voice. And the intention behind Jaden's voice was I was Jaden's voice because he was nonverbal until the time he was seven. And I became a voice, not for him, but my goal was to be a voice for as many families as I possibly could um, to advocate for those families and give them the strength and the support they needed until I was able to help them find a voice of their own. I didn't want to take over their role, but I wanted them to understand you're not by yourself. Don't allow the neighborhood you've grown up in or currently are still in. uh, Don't allow the fact that maybe you only graduated from high school. um, Don't allow that you feel like you are drowned by this language of autism or you're not sure what to appropriately ask for. These are your rights. This is your child's educational right. And I wanted to put that strength in the hands of people, white, black, or indifferent, to make sure that they understood that they did not stand alone and that they had help. So that was what started. 
powerful. The chat room is beginning to light up. It says, thank you, Dr. James and Terry. It is a great show to be a part of today. Very humbling to learn from you both. Uh, there's another one question for you. Because what are some actions one can take to effectively raise a child on the spectrum? So the question to you, Terry, is what are some actions one can take to effectively, and I guess effective is subjective, raise a child that's on the spectrum. But what are some of the things you've done? Effective is very subjective, Dr. James. And let me just say this. Um, this is the thing, right? Like when you have a neurotypical kid, we measure ourselves with neurotypical kids, with how great their grades are. Uh, you know, are they advanced? Do they move to different classrooms? What kind of feedback do we receive? Did they go to college, right? So we have all of these things. And I think the best thing that autistic children do is they help us take the lenses of judgment off, right? I think they teach us to help understand where they are is where they need to be. Um, at that time, particularly in their life. And the idea sometimes is we're always trying to fix the autistic child. Maybe we need to fix our lens, right? So instead of us always saying, hey, you know, we're raising this child to be the very best th they need to be. That's what we need to do. Not say we're trying to raise them to be like this, or we want them to be like that. Or maybe some of us don't have that desire to raise them like that at all, but we're pushing them. And oftentimes we're pushing them in the things that we think, right? You need to read, you need to, all of these things, but maybe your child has a gift in technology, right? And maybe reading is never going to be their gift and that's okay, right? Maybe your child's gift as, is, is organization. Some kids can repeat every single movie and know every song. I think one way to effectively parent a, a, a kid on the spectrum is sure we're going to expose them to all those things that we feel like they need, but making sure that they have a level of independ independence and not trying to force what we consider is the right way because that's the educational system, right? Understanding where they are, what are their gifts and talents and pour into that. Maybe they're great at playing the piano, right? Maybe they enjoy writing music. But instead of putting them in class and we're trying to beat them to death, not physically, but in their mind, you need to understand this math and you need to understand this and you're not going to be able to get to the next grade or whatever the situation is, maybe enhancing whatever gifts and talents they actually have and using that in the world. Um, if you think about it, most millionaires or very wealthy people, not rich, there's a difference. <laughs> yes. Most of those corporations, I don't, to be honest, I, I, Mark Zuckerberg, if you ever see this, please forgive me in advance because I should know this already from being at Facebook a trillion times. But I don't think Mark graduated from high school. I believe you. Um, and it is no secret that Mark is a high functioning autistic individual. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what I think we should do is we align our kids with the education system that is not set up for our kids to succeed. Especially and so, every day, but especially during the pandemic, because I'm, and, I, 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 I oh, trust yeah. that you've had even more, I would say challenges, but more opportunities to, to give to Jaden and to others during, this, during the pandemic. Yes. And so I will share with you, I think the number one concern was there are a lot of parents who have school-aged children and the school-aged children that they had that were out during that time, parents, there were still parents that had to work. And you can't just leave your kid anywhere. And to be honest, I hope this pandemic showed us how antiquated we are. Yeah. We're not yeah. prepared, you know, in the event that our kids need to be home. You know, our parents need to use tools and we as parents should learn what other tools can we use, right, to help our child reach whatever level of success is meant for them. I just hope for the people who are out there listening, our intention wasn't to be Emmy nominated. As I shared with you, Jaden's Voice is not a local uh, charity. It is a national global charity. We have two centers in Africa. And so we built this because being in foreign countries, I've had a chance to meet with 43 foreign countries on what autism looks like. And a lot of individuals look to the West, right? To see what do we do with our children? How do we um, 
provide resources to our kids. And so I put this show on YouTube with the intention of allowing other countries to use very much everyday things in their lives because financially, they don't have it to send their kids to therapy. They don't either A, the, the, the money is not there or the structure itself yeah. is not there to have access to speech, behavioral and occupational therapy. And this pandemic wasn't a big deal to me, probably because of the fact I've been in a lot of foreign countries where they didn't have access to any of this. So this show was built initially to help individuals who financially may not be able to take their kid to therapy two, three, four, five times. But if you can't, what can you do at home as a parent? Or what can, if you have help, family members who are helping you, what things can they do with activities and different things with your children out of everyday household items, right? Like you can't maybe afford a $200 sensory blanket, but we can show you how to make one with rice at home. So that show was built again, and this reaches back to the very pain points in my life became the propel to my purpose, right? Mm. Like when I look back, the very things that I was used to not having nothing and having to make something out of that when I was presented this with a different set of lenses, right? It was like, wow, let me show people how they can make things work. You might not always have insurance and be able to get into a doctor or an occupational therapist or have people come to your home and do that. But it doesn't mean that you can't have access and be a train the trainer person. So that whole show was about training parents to be able to do these same sort of things at home with their kids that they're potentially paying $135 to $225 an hour if they have it right to have someone else do it with their kids. Terry, where, where do you draw your strength? And what do you do in those moments where it's like, where the frustration <laughs> like, <is> there? <sighs> yeah, what do you do? So you know what? I'm glad, Jim, you asked that. Today, quite frankly, guys, it's another moment. You know, I don't feel between my phone just dying in the middle of Dr. James and I's interview, not being prepared, you know, not that I'm not prepared, but the situation that I had to deal with did not allow me to be prepared for today. Um, what I do is remember that it's not about me, right? Like, even if it's directed to me, it's, it's about either A, my own personal growth, um, potentially what is what could look like um, a negative situation is typically an opportunity. And part of that opportunity is have I gained more patience? What kind of understanding? Who did I help? Whose life have I impacted, right? Um, at the end of the day, all these autism parents out here, they could care less if I had makeup and my hair was done and I had a right collar shirt on. At the end of the day, what they want is information that's going to help them be successful or building an opportunity, right, somewhere for them that or help them think about something that maybe they didn't think about or provide hope. Because I've been there as a parent when my son was nonverbal. It was one of the hardest moments in my life. When he had such behavioral challenges, I kept saying, Lord, there's no way I'm going to make it. Like, and my strength honestly does come from a foundation of faith. Um, I know that I wouldn't be here and in the seat that I'm in and the opportunities that I have. Um, I do honestly understand now the challenges that I had to go through, even as a young person coming from nothing, which has also helped me build foundations and TV shows and write books. There are also things like reading your book, The Energy Bus, or other things that I've come to your classes before. Um, I pour into myself in a different way and try to take these situations that are meant to harm me, because I really believe the word of God when it says, what was meant for my bad, God will use it for my good. And I think I know that more than ever, because had I not been poor before, had I not lived in the neighborhoods, when that woman said what she said, it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have triggered me the same. And I knew when she was saying, I'm saying, wait a second, money is keeping other children from getting access to things that they should have. Well, what if I didn't have this money? And that neighborhood you're talking about are neighborhoods that I came from. I wasn't afraid to go into neighborhoods. I wasn't afraid to go into foreign countries couldn't even speak their language but I walked into those places with confidence because I was so used to sometimes I would sleep in a shelter I didn't know the people in the shelter either but all of those situations in my life that were negative situations actually gave me the strength the perseverance mm -hmm. the tenacity 
the boldness and the courage to be able to execute things in this space that God knew all along that I'm going to be dealing with something that's greater and bigger than me. And I am going to need to lean on people. Part of it is also learning humility. Do you know how humbling it is to say that, hey, I've done a lot of things in my life. I can't do this alone. I need to lean on other people such as Dr. James. Hey, I'm going through these challenges in my marriage or I'm going through these challenges in my finances or I'm going through these challenges because you know I have this kid on the spectrum. It's a humbling experience. And so all of those things add up and I think it just makes us better people. It honestly does. It does. Let me take a look at the chat room. I I see some smoke over here. (laughs) That's awesome, Terry. Uh, powerful, powerful, awesome. Um, amen. Oh, church is up in here. Speaking of church, <laughs> speaking of church, you talked about God several times. I know that you and Lee, your husband, um, do your own Bible study. Uh, we do. Next level love. We're going to put a picture of you and Boo up here. Can you talk a little bit about your next level work? What are you guys doing? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is also in a sense, too, geared towards our families on the spectrum. You know, I was married. I went through a divorce. um, And, you know, we've remained friends. Uh, I like, you know, for the sake of children that you do the best that you can do. And um, you understand forgiveness. But I'll tell you, for you single moms that are out there, the one challenge I had, you know, success wasn't an issue because at that point in time in my life, I was a successful entrepreneur. I was raising my children. I didn't need someone to be a father to my children, but there were still pieces of me that felt like who's going to love a child that's on the spectrum the same way that if they were their own. Um, Jaden to me was a blessing in a lot of ways because I felt like he's, he's going to vet a guy for me before I can. Right. Like I'm, I'm going to know if this is going to work early on because Jaden's going to let me know right off the bat. Kids on the spectrum just have a way of being honest. You know, they either they're they're either repelled by the person or they kind of take to them. It's one or the other. But the other thing is it also was going to show me who was willing to help carry the load. You know, I think a lot of times, especially in marriage, it's like, oh, you can't bring your baggage. It should all be unpacked. That's not true. Because life, yeah, I mean, I think we've told people or taught people very wrong. Um, and what I mean by that is there are going to be things that you're going to carry. It's going to take some time sometimes to get through things. And some things you may not even discover that you're still carrying, right? So you might think you're over stuff, but you're still kind of carrying things. And when as a, a single mom who was financially successful, right, at, if, uh, from a business perspective and all of those other things, I wasn't in the relationship department. And the challenge with that was, was my concern was being able to marry someone who is going to not only love me, but have the same love for my son. The idea with my son at that time was, in my mind, he was still really nonverbal, had very little language. And so I'm thinking, no one's going to want to be responsible. This kid's probably going to live with me for the rest of his life. Right. Most people, even if they do marry, they're like, your kids are going to grow up. They're going to be gone. It's just going to be us. That might not be the situation. You know what I'm saying? And so it's a different conversation. So next level love came out of two, even coming from the Christian space. Oftentimes it's looked down upon, you know, when you're coming through a divorce um, or when you have a blended family and God forgives and we move forward. And so I don't want to keep people bound or in condemnation. You know, next level love is not just about relationships, but it's having next level love in your giving right? Um, Having next level love towards people. Um, And the bottom line is the next level of you, uh, the next level you want to get to requires a next level of you. And so the greatest thing that I feel that God, the greatest responsibility that God gave us was to love. And Jaden truly is the reason why I learned what unconditional love meant. Um, I had to accept him flaws and all, right? He had to accept his mom flaws and all. And there was a learning You know, when it came to decorating his room and as he changed ages and, you know, he wanted to eat the same food for two years in a row and the same toy for two years in a row, you can't just convince or force an autistic child (laughs) to do what you want them to do, you know? And so what I learned very quickly was to um, accept Jaden for Jaden and not try to form and fit him into something, which also helped me a lot in relationships. That's important. 
extremely important because they are going to do what they want to do. Yes, they are. And some of their behaviors are the same behaviors that typical children would do at that age, but you're just adding that extra level of specialness to it. Absolutely. We see it. And teaching them. Teaching them is important too, because, you know, they grow up, I'm not saying just let them, you know, the world isn't going to be sometimes as compromising and compassionate as we are as parents. So there is a lot of give and take in that. But I mean, it also takes like, Jaden is not a child that you can elevate your voice. That's not going to get him to move. That's going to get him to break down. So it's constant reassurance in your tone. If your tone is off a little bit, he's like, why are you so angry? Why are you so mad? Like he keeps, I'm like, Jaden, no. So it, it, it teaches you a whole lot. It teaches you a whole lot. And so next level love was birthed in a sense, just to kind of summarize that again, you know, um, it was, it was birthed to help relationships um, grow with each other. And I think as husband and wife, when we can operate in good relationship, then it helps us have better relationships with everything else around us. That is awesome. That's awesome. I said in the beginning of the show that you're always moving and shaking and there's always something different. I'm going to put a video on and it's uh, you getting ready to do some speaking. I believe it took place in 2017. I want you to be able afterwards to tell us what was going on here and the fire you had that day. So let's take a look. Join me and many other women who will be speaking today, um, empowering each other for our next. This sounds crazy, hold on. with it <laughs> i was getting jiggy i was getting jiggy with it and one of my my i i jokingly say one of my autism um my spectrum things that i do i'm not autistic but i jokingly always say that i chew gum like it's it's a nervous kind of thing like i have to uh, the the whole entire time the whole team's like you are smacking that gum but it's Killing how it. i think you know <laughs> They're like, we're capturing this on video. I'm like, it's all right. This is what I do. You know, Jaden taught me to be confident. This is just what you do. (laughs) Give us, give us the backstory. What was going on there? Because we're going to play a part too. Yeah. So this was an opportunity that I had to speak at the uh, March, you know, um, especially for women. Uh, And it was initially, most people don't know that I was the one who wrote the healthcare side for Hillary when she was running for, um, when she was a presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as I'm in front of the camera on certain things, to be honest, there's a lot of things that I do that most people don't know that I do. So, um, and sometimes that's, that's good. But um, during that time period, it was a very sensitive time because in my mind and, and a lot of the world's mind, a lot of rights were going to be taken away. And um, my thing is always to make sure that it, women and children's rights are not, you know, stripped from them. And At that time, I was very much aware that Trump had um, a person on his staff who had worked as an administrative assistant for at least 17 years, who also had an autistic child. Uh, And I, I, I know this is a safe space, but it's believed, I'll just say that, um, that Barron is on the spectrum. Mm. And so I was extremely frustrated by the things that were changing or potentially could change as a result of some political issues or laws, and they would impact children on the spectrum very heavily. Well, you were were on fire that day. We're gonna show another part of the clip, let people see you in action. You were on fire. I'm like, look at her go. Let's let's, let's check it out. Let's let's watch the other part of the the clip. Put a smile on your face. CEO and founder of Jaden's Voice. We are a nonprofit organization that works to enhance the lives of individuals impacted by autism. We also care about their families. For the last seven years since my son has been diagnosed, I have financially supported our organization 100%. 
Many of our communities that are raising children, unfortunately, are not getting services. They're being missed because of the color of their skin, the neighborhood they live in, or if they're raised by the LGBT community. This should not continue to go on. And with Hillary, I was able to help advise her team on how to make changes for the United States with autism. Now that Trump's in office, I will be a bridge and I will make sure that our voices are heard. There will not be one child, one family, one person left behind. Drop the mic, drop the mic, Terry, <laughs> talk to us. You were on fire that day, you were on fire. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to say while I was at the White House, I, I would say, you can always tell when I'm not, when I'm working, because I don't have a haircut. So for those of you confused with short hair versus long hair, you know I have not stopped to even get a haircut. Um, and I was, during that time period, I, I, I would laugh because there is a video of Peter at the time who was one of my right-hand guys and handled the PR stuff. Peter was like, we got... I literally left that place. I'm flying to DC, leaving that place, flying to Los Angeles. He's like, you've gone to three states in one day. <laughs> he goes, and I don't know how we're doing this, but I mean, he he jokingly says, Wait, he would say on the plane, are you going to sleep on the plane? I'm like, no, I'm preparing for the other thing. Like, Ooh. it was just so crazy. So, um, and then we got to LA and when we were there, um, Peter's like, so tomorrow's our day off, right? I'm like, yeah, but only for four hours. We have to go to Africa next. <laughs> like, he's like, he's like, I need something to keep up with you. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, work never stops. And, uh, you know, as I said that day, I didn't care if it was, you know, from the row home to the White House, you know, all services yeah. need to be delivered equally. And it doesn't make sense that, you know, we are divided by financial needs, especially when it comes to the needs of the child being met. That makes no sense to me. Argue all that other stuff all day long, but it shouldn't be this school receives therapy, that school doesn't, all because of, you know, financial income. And for the state of Philadelphia, they're all supported by the state. So that makes it worse to me too. Um, so, this, you know, I appreciate Autism you. Awareness Month, Autism Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. really every month should be what would you how will you know what will be the sign to you that we are becoming more aware of what it means to be on the spectrum as a child as an adult what signs what do you need to see or hear where this is not just an obligatory one month take a time out let's honor and consider people on the spectrum what do you need to say? You're really trying yeah. to make me cry, Jim. It's mm. already been one of those days. Um, I will say, like, when I built my companies, uh, part of my handbooks, right, allow people to go and get uh, an IEP, right, without using their vacation time. Um, when a child is initially diagnosed, sometimes they are parents and families are bombarded with the coordination of therapy. So uh, families in my corporations can actually take the time off that they need uh, to be able to do that without it costing potentially their job or being looked at crazy. Um, the other thing I think when I know we'll arrive there is when they have services and structures and systems that support kids that once they graduate from high school, there's something for them, yes. right? Um, where they can move on and, and have levels of independence. When we create neighborhoods and sustainable neighborhoods that financially these kids may not be able to work at certain areas that bring a certain level of money, right? But they can do something and contribute to living independent life. And when we have systems and structures in place and we don't have to create a law or create a policy or have to sue people to get somebody's attention, then I'll know that we're where we need to be. I'll, I'll add to that when their special diets are not, the prices aren't, aren't skyrocket because we pay an awful lot of money for the diets they're on. They, they're not eating yeah. what everyone else eats and it, it costs more no. money. That doesn't make sense. Someone in it chat costs room said, way much more money. A chat room request question, any recommended reading for people who find out they are on the spectrum as adults? So any recommended reading for people who find out 
as an adult that they are on the spectrum. Dr. James, my synapses aren't firing off the way that they normally would. There is actually a book about a gentleman that I had an opportunity to meet. He actually wrote it and he was, he found out he was an autistic person as an adult. He's married with children and actually runs an organization. I'll have to send you that and hopefully sure, you can follow sure. up with, um, but what I will say to you is don't focus so much on the fact, and I've had an opportunity to, to meet quite a few people that didn't find out they were autistic till later. And even with my husband and I doing ministry counseling in marriages, mar marriage mentorship, we have discovered a lot of people who have later found out like, oh, there's something going on here. And they were actually on the spectrum. Um, and what I would say is to focus again on your gifts. It's kind of like, now that you have this knowledge, the awkwardness sometimes they might have felt on the inside now there's a label to it right and right. so you are this way because this is how you're built right no different than a neurotypical person they do the things that they do right it's just it's your uniqueness and so it's embracing that uniqueness and I say still kind of read those same books that you would read that are maybe not just 100% focused on an adult with autism, but apply the principles that you're learning in those books differently because you think differently, you feel differently. And so there's nothing wrong with that. The other thing that I would suggest is finding like-minded adults that are on the spectrum because sometimes just like I'm a woman who's a serial entrepreneur that balances ministry and husband and work and advocacy and you know all the different things that I do, I try to find women that are very similar. I have a lot of respect for the stay-at-home moms, but their lives are a little bit different than mine. And so sometimes I have to talk to people who might be feeling as an entrepreneur, did I make a huge mistake? Or as an investor, what did I do here? And, you know, I feel bad because I'm in investment meetings and my son wants to go play kickball, you know? So um, I have to be around like-minded people. So if you find out as an adult, you're on the spectrum. And if there isn't a group, start it so Ooh. if there isn't a group don't say oh wow there's no group that's out here then you find i don't care if it starts being just two or three people because you don't might you might not realize that impact that you're going to have right when you're starting this group and how large it can grow and whose life you can change and so um, if you are an adult that's on the spectrum again i'll find i'll figure out that book jim and, and text you but i will say read the other books, but just apply the knowledge that you now know about yourself. Thank you, thank you. Time is getting away, darn. I wanted to spend two hours with you. Listen, you've been in the news lately. Um, we're gonna put the, an article that Janice Armstrong wrote so people can take a look at it. What's, give us the backstory, what's, what's happening here? What's the two officers and the role you played? Yeah, so, oh, I haven't even seen the article, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been too busy. <laughs> so um, I have had a chance to kind of meet with a few people and the rest of two cops. Uh, what had ended up occurring in this situation was um, there was a Larry Krasner, who is the current district attorney for Philadelphia. I had met back with him in 2019. Um, I'm sure many people know about the Elijah McClain case. And um, I struggled really hard with being very challenged by a judicial system, um, a justice system, you know, that just didn't speak to relevant issues of today. And we already know that. I mean, we know that for a thousand other reasons, but this is Autism Awareness Month, so we'll keep it there. Um, but I went to Larry and I've had multiple conversations and we talked about, most people may not even know this, but an autistic individual is adjudicated or tried the same exact way as a neurotypical person. But in the court of law, all courts have a mental health court. So why aren't autistic individuals tried on the mental health court side? So we give leeway to schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder, all of this, but we don't do it for autism. Why not? And what one of the reasons why is because oftentimes people don't understand how an autism mind works. And so I had come across you know, Elijah McClain and his situation, he had passed, but I had been working um, for a long time to try to get the police trained 
um, not only just in the city of Philadelphia, but five major cities. Um, and Jaden and I actually have done a video when he was nonverbal for the Philadelphia Police Department that they've used in their training. They might actually still have it where if he was lost and an officer approached him, right, how would, how would that work if he didn't communicate? Um, the other thing was we had also helped at one point in time, I don't know if you remember this story, Jim, but a few years back, a young boy, New Year's Eve, was five years old on the spectrum, nonverbal, and he ended up missing. He ended up wandering off. No, the, when they recognized he was gone, he had actually walked himself to a lake and drowned in the lake. Um, and I was on the scene uh, and worked with the officers and they were searching for this kid like a normal kid. And I'm like, this is a kid on the spectrum. He's going to go to things that he sees driving on the way home. And so that's how we were able to find him. Um, and it was an unfortunate circumstance. But meeting with Larry Krasner, he was very um, open and had a willingness to allow uh, me to step into his space and talk to him about even cases that he had on his desk at that very moment. So oftentimes when a person at 17, 18, 19 years old gets in trouble, they go back and look at their school history record. How was their behavior, right? And so parents, this is important for you. I need you guys to hear me out on this. <laughs> Do not allow these schools to put in your child's record that they are bad. Yes. Because yes. if they do something yes. at 17, like eat a candy bar out of a store, right? And now somebody calls the police on them and they might end up with a misdemeanor charge, but the charge could be dropped if they knew that this kid was on the spectrum. But what happens is if they see them get in trouble repeatedly, no one goes back and says, this kid was missed. They potentially have autism. Here are the issues. They go back and say, this kid's record in school was he was a bad kid, constantly thrown out, moved out of classrooms, but this is a kid that could have been on the spectrum. Yeah. So we ended up having this great conversation. It was filled with a lot of emotion, but I was the first person ever, which most people don't know this, and Janine actually highlighted this in her article. She had mentioned it to me that um, there were 300 prosecutors that I had trained for the city of Philadelphia on how to appropriately adjudicate a case with someone. So as an example, if you have a young man who ends up charged with rape, and I know that can happen and those things do happen, but unfortunately too, making sure that the appropriate questions are asked. When you're asking an autistic person to be a witness, we've had young boys that have been asked to carry a backpack full of drugs from one location to another or hold a gun. They don't know the severity of the crime. They're just trying to be a good friend, right? They don't necessarily know the severity of what it is that they are doing. And so the thing is, is that when they don't know, they are trying, and when you have prosecutors or families who can't afford attorneys or prove, or there's no history of this individual beyond the spectrum, nine times out of 10, this particular kid right, could end up in jail and go from juvenile hall to adult jail and nobody comes to their rescue. And so that was a big deal. So that started our conversation as well as having officers trained how to appropriately address. We had someone on a, uh, one of the SEPTA buses who kept touching someone's hair mm -hmm. and she felt like she was violated. They thought that this young man was being disrespectful because they kept asking him his name and he was slow at responding. They threw him down on the ground, arrested him. He had to sit in jail until he saw a judge on Monday. But had they recognized that he was on the spectrum and he kept repeating himself yeah. over and over and over, Tim Smith, Tim Smith, Tim Smith, Tim Smith, they thought he was being a jerk. And he wasn't. He was on the spectrum. What I'm hearing is an enhanced level of awareness needs to happen for many of us many of us, the things that we take for granted. Terry, we're at the point in the show because time is getting away where I asked the guests to look right into that camera. And since I'm a speaker, I asked for them to give a mini, M-I-N-I, -I, a mini, a 30 second keynote on whatever they want. It could be autism awareness. It could be personal power. It could be faith. It could be taking charge. But this is the last time for you to really just pour into them because you've been pouring for the last hour. What do you want them to walk away? What do you want to give them? Terry Matthews, your 30 second keynote speech starts now. I want to say this, um, there is purpose in your pain. 
there is opportunity in what's your opposition. And I want you to understand that if you have an autistic child, that child is a gift. That child is going to teach you some things about yourself. If you lack patience, they're going to they're gonna teach you patience. If you don't understand real unconditional love, you will learn unconditional love. If you yourself are on the spectrum, you will learn more things about you. And instead of comparing ourselves, instead of comparing ourselves against the many things um, that say who we are, who we should be by whatever timeline, by whatever pedigree, don't. Begin to look at yourself and love yourself and love your child right where you are. Use the very things that are in your life that are meant to harm you. I promise you they're meant to pull out the very good in you. And for me, I do believe in God. And it is because of him that I'm able to stand. I could not have dealt with my son 100% on my own. I didn't have a major family to lean on for all of this support to help me. Jaden is the first known person in our family even to be autistic. And I don't have a big family at all. But what I will say to you is, is that as great as this problem is, is as great as the opportunity that can be. I never thought that I would have traveled to 43 countries. And I went there for autism and ended up building so many other things for women um, that I would have never even had an opportunity to meet had I not been led there through the very situation that was meant to pull me down. So I just want to say to you all, thank you so much for listening today. Do as much as you can to find out about your child's gifts, skills, and talents, and how they've actually start looking at how they've made you a better person and a better parent, all because of the challenges maybe that you've had to go through. Amazing. Amazing. Not only do I want to thank you for your mind, your heart, your spirit, what you shared with us today, but the fact that you're here, you're in the midst of going through a character <laughs> building moment, and you still made it. You still made it. So many of us make excuses. My last book, The No Excuse Guy, we, we live a life of excuses. But something tells me you're allergic to excuses. You're allergic to mediocrity. And you embrace making it happen. And Terry, my friend, thank you for blessing us today with your spirit. For those of you who tuned in, another, another, another diamond. We bring it. And the folks who come on consistently pour on you. Are you receiving it? Are you taking it? Are you embracing it? Go make it happen. You know how I'm going to wrap up. You've just been gympacted. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.